Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Let me get this out of the way right away. And Dan, you and I were sort of talking about this a little bit. Mm. Um, so I'm interested to see what Alex has to say. That Man United jersey. Oh, God. <laughs> Alex, stay with me for a second. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's try to start this. It's a new season. Let's try to be positive. I don't think it's that bad. Uh, no, that's dreadful. <laughs> so bad. I actually don't like any of the kits in the Premier League this season. I think they're all pretty average. What about to, the Southampton? To awful. The Southampton sash? Yeah, <laughs> but the sponsor really ruins that, I think. There are too many football kits, aren't there? That's the problem. There's so, yeah. there's so much pressure for them to bring out three new kits per season, every club now. They all have to have a unique design, which is a nod to, I don't know, someone's granddad's allotment <laughs> in 1947, isn't it? And it's just it's just nonsense. Yeah, I, I, I'd like them to go back to the times when it was just like they'd, they'd use the same kit for two or three seasons. I remember there used to be uproar when they changed their kit every two seasons. Yeah, Man United started all this. They were the... The, the forebearers of all this nonsense. Mm, I think you might have a point on this. Yeah. But also, uh, and again, I'm controversial, uh, I don't mind the Wolves one either. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, that's equally bad, I think. That's equally bad. It's just a laptop screensaver. <laughs> it is a little. Uh, should I keep on going? I don't mind the Man City one. <laughs> oh, I don't, mind, I don't mind the Man City one. That's really grown on me. Like, yeah. I mean, it looks like a virus, doesn't it? But apart from that, it's... Uh... I'm pretty sure my granddad used to have pyjamas. Sort of <laughs> well, you see, that, that's supposed to be a nod to Manchester's musical heritage. So, you know, you, you can definitely see that when you look at it, can't you? Is it really? Yes. In what, in what way? Uh, the Britpop era or, or just some, some te- very tenuous connection, I think. Jesus. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why didn't they put like a picture of a bucket hat or like Liam <laughs> Gallagher's face or something? Yeah. A yellow, yellow smiley face. Well, there's a there's a bucket hat version of the uh, Man United third kit you can buy actually. So if you wanted to treat yourself, uh, Ian, then maybe, maybe that's something you could buy. Christmas is coming. <laughs> the, the disjointed zebra. <laughs> it's the shorts that ruin that one though. If if they just, I mean, I did hear that they might not be wearing those shorts. Apparently, it's not allowed or something. No, the shorts, the short, the shorts is just for anybody who wants to be a full kit wanker. Oh, okay. Uh, the actual players, I believe, are going to wear white shorts and white socks. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And uh, apparently, maybe I heard this wrong, but it's meant to be some sort of nod. There you go, nod. To you remember that kit, the blue and white kit that had all the names in it? Oh right, okay. I don't, I don't know how that works. Not the one at Southampton that they changed out of at half time. <laughs> the grey one. Yeah. <laughs> That's consigned to the bin. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Anyway, joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football podcast is Dan Burke. Hello. And Alex Mott. Hello. Uh, podcast of One Football is where you can send any love, any gifts, any abuse you may have for uh, the team here. And now the Premier League is back. I feel like. It's only been away for like 10 minutes, but it's back. <laughs> uh, I want to start off with a positive note. I've already started off with the, the, a bit of praise for that Manchester United jersey. Uh, gentlemen, what are you most excited about for this new season? Who'd like to go first? Uh, I, I can go first. Well, anything that isn't England, Denmark in the Nations League is something to be <laughs> excited about for a start. Um, I think probably Leeds being back. Uh, I can't remember a team coming up with this much excitement around them, uh, this much expectation. I think 
You know, I can genuinely see a possibility where Leeds could finish sixth or finish bottom. And I think <laughs> that's like one of those two things could definitely happen. So, And they've made some great, good sign-ins and obviously Bielsa being in the Premier League is just, yeah, it's uh, yeah, really exciting actually, really exciting. Do you think Bielsa is going to make it through the entire season? Um, I, I don't, well, the past two seasons in the Championship, I, I, I've been asked that question and I said no, and he has, so... I think something would have to go spectacularly wrong for him to leave. Um, and it seems like the people at Leeds want him to stay so badly that they'll sort of do anything to keep him. So I think even if you know they go on a 20-game losing run, I can't see them getting rid of him. So yeah, I'm going to say he'll be there by the end of the season. And arguably, there's actually less pressure on him this season. Because getting the, the, the getting out of the Championship and the, the, the desire to get back to the Premier League, which was so long for such a big club like Leeds, that's arguably more pressure than just... Because nobody really expects much of them this season. So he almost has like a free shot. Yeah, that's true. Although they have spent nearly 50 million so far, which obviously adds a certain amount of expectation. But I think if Leeds finish 17th then fans at Ellen Road would be perfectly happy with that and everyone would be yeah perfectly happy with them staying in the Premier League no matter where they finish so yeah it's going to be I mean you just have to look at how they played against Arsenal in the FA Cup I think that was in January where they went toe-to-toe with Arsenal they played really well I think they ended up losing 2-1 at the Emirates but they, they were the better team on the night and I think that's a good indication as to where they are as a team and how good they could be in the Premier League so yeah, I think, yeah, they're going to be really, really exciting this season. And they're even getting linked with players like uh, Julian Draxler. Draxler, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's crazy, crazy. I mean, I know he's been sitting on the bench at PSG for about 400 seasons, but even still, he's a World Cup winner. That's like a statement of intent if they're going for that sort of player. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, spending 30 million on Rodrigo and that, you know, those sort of sign-ins are... Well, it's just great to have a proper good Leeds team and that, you know, that sort of club back in the Premier League, certainly better than Bournemouth, no disrespect to Bournemouth, but um, <laughs> certainly good to have a club like that going places in the Premier League. So yeah, it's going to be great. Dan, what are you most excited about for this season? Uh, aside from Bielsa's inevitable meltdown, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really have that sort of pre-season buzz at the moment. I think it's partly because the last season finished five minutes ago, like you said. Um, partly because not everybody's playing this weekend. Like half the teams aren't playing. Well, Man City aren't playing for a start. Man United. Um, so that it feels a bit disjointed already. Um, there's also the fact that obviously you know we we we're not going to have fans in stadiums for a while, and that was fine for the sort of conclusion of last season, I think. But going into a new season and knowing that you still can't go to the match, it just feels a bit upsetting to me. So I guess that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. That eventually, hopefully, we're going to get like you know a portion of crowds back into stadiums, and and hopefully by the end of the season, maybe it's a bit pie in the sky. But hopefully by the end of the season, we might have full crowds again. And, uh, and we can all go to the match again. But yeah, at the moment, I don't really have that, that frisson of excitement that you usually get around this time of year. Look at me. Me and Alex faked it so hard. <laughs> and look at you just come in with Johnny negativity. Debbie Downer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Debbie Downer. Well, I mean, with, with fans going back to, the, back to the grounds, everything seems to be going very well in England at the moment. So I can only expect yeah. that it's uh, just a matter of time. Well, I, I saw um, there was a story earlier on today. I think it was Andy Mitten wrote it that Man United wanted, wanted to get 4,000 people back in for the Crystal Palace game. But then, yeah, the government announced yesterday that from Monday, gatherings of more than six people are going to be made illegal. So, yeah, I think it might be a little bit longer yet before even half but partial crowds are going to be allowed back in, to be honest. Are they letting them into the cricket? No. 
No, they weren't. There was so all the cricket's been in complete bubbles. There was a test event, not last weekend, the weekend before. It was Brighton against Chelsea in pre-season friendly, and I think there was like three thousand people there in a thirty thousand seat stadium, which seemed to go okay. I haven't heard any sort of negative stories from that, but I know that um, Doncaster horse racing was open today. Um, and that opened up, that opened at about eleven o'clock, and about half an hour ago, they've now closed the race course. So, uh, yeah, so I, I can't see park crowds being back in until yeah. after Christmas. Unfortunately, you were attempted to make the trip to Doncaster. <laughs> no, <laughs> unfortunately, no. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever been really tempted to. Make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, one of the one of the big. Stories for this season will undoubtedly be uh, Liverpool, Man City, and the the rivalry. What was it? What was it in the end, Dan? 30, 40 points that Liverpool finished ahead. Of? Eighteen points, eight, actually, eight, eight. not even a record. <laughs> Just yeah. Uh, but eighteen points it is. What can Pep do this season to make up that gap? Well, I mean, they are trying to address the defence, which was a bit of a problem uh, last season. They didn't replace Vincent Company last season, which was which was a mistake. And then they lost Imeric Willaport really early in the season to a bad injury, and were pretty rudderless at the back from from there on in, really. So they've signed Nathan Ake, and they're hopefully going to get Kalidou Koulibaly, which will, you know, both be pretty good signings, I think, if they come, uh, if, if Koulibaly comes. Um, but arguably the problem with City is not so much defence, but it's the fact that in a lot of games last season, um, they, you know, there were so many games, I think in post-lockdown, they won like five games, 5-0. But then there were, there were so many games where they just didn't get the goal required at the right time to kind of win the game. They lost nine Premier League games in the end. You know, I think of um, Spurs away was a big one. Southampton away, they absolutely battered them and lost 1-0. Um, so, I mean, you look at the, the Leon Champions League game as well, they missed an open goal in that one. So that was a problem um, for City that was probably bigger than the, de- the defensive issues. And I don't really know how Guardiola solves that, apart from telling his players to kick the ball in the net when they're, <laughs> when the goal's open from three yards. I don't, I'm not sure what else he can do, really. So hopefully it'll just be a case of their luck changing a little bit and they'll they'll start um, you know turning some of those defeats and draws into wins. Well, maybe but, he needs to sack Sergio Aguero. Well, I think for a club with that much money and that much resource, it's amazing how much they miss Sergio Aguero after his injury. Like I know Gabriel Jesus does a lot, and he sort of proved himself massively in that Real Madrid game. It was a huge part of their like press from the front and all that sort of stuff. But he's just not a finisher. Um, and you saw with Sterling's miss against Leon, um, and they seem to seem like they've missed Sane as well. I'm not, I know everyone sort of pinpointed that defense is a big issue, but yeah, Dan's right. I think in attack. Although they have loads of possession, loads of chances, they really sort of struggle to make those chances count. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, without Aguero, it's, and I'm not sure when Aguero is going to be back. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a huge miss for them. And he's 32 now. You know, you can't be relying on a 32-year-old striker for that much longer. So. Yes, a few worries. Well, there, there is some chat that they still might get another forward in as well, actually. And they've signed Ferran Torres from Valencia this summer, who um, is still pretty young. He's only 20, but I think he's going to be a good signing. Um, maybe not immediately, but in the long term. Sorry, Alex, did you say Sergio Aguero is 32? Yeah, 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 yeah. He looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he looks the same as when he was about 18 or 19. Yeah. He's got a slightly different hairstyle now, but wow. Uh, yeah. Dan, the forward thing is is interesting because, like Alex says, there is that reliance on, on Aguero. Uh, no, but no names really are getting linked except for, of course, you know, Messi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> no, we, we, let's get let's get to that in a second. But uh, is there is there anybody anybody else linked with a striking position? Honestly, there, there has been no names mentioned at all. One that I thought would be a really good signing earlier in the summer. Um, I say earlier in the summer. This was about three weeks ago, but um, would have been Aubameyang from Arsenal. Um, you know, I thought they might have had a look at him, taken an advantage of his contract situation, maybe. But it looks like he's going to stay put at Arsenal now. So no, no one else has been linked really. I don't know who they were going to go for. I mean, they have put all their eggs in the messy basket in the past sort of two weeks, I think, and, and obviously that's not going to happen now. So um, I'll be surprised if they did bring another forward in, actually, but there is a bit of chat that it might happen. Okay. He bottled it, didn't he, really, Messi? Bottled it, absolutely. <laughs> Kaka all over again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, along with, uh, what was that quote from Sven-Goran Eriksson? Um, what was it like? He's something like, "What are we celebrating? Life?" Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Along with that, uh, that that bottled it is is my one of my favorite football. <laughs> Good old Gary Cook. <laughs> Good old Gary. <laughs> so uh, you wouldn't expect too many changes to the side then this coming season. No, I mean, like, like I say, if, if Koulibaly comes in, hopefully he's going to be the uh, partner for Laporte long term. Um, Ake will play a bit, I think, and I think there's also been some chat that he could play left back occasionally because that's a position that they've not really. Saw Sorted and, and probably won't this window because I don't think the money is quite there to buy all the players that they need and they have still got a few options at left back. So I would imagine it'll be it'd be pretty similar. You know, you would hope for like someone like Rodri might be a bit better this season after he struggled a little bit last season. Um, Gabriel Jesus is going to stick around. Hopefully, you know, he's, he's still pretty young. I'm, I'm not convinced by him at all. I don't think he's the clinical finisher that City need, especially in Aguero's absence, but hopefully he'll be a bit better. And then, you know, you've got Kevin De Bruyne, who was PFA Player of the Year last season. Um, I think he's going to have another outstanding season, hopefully. So there are reasons to be optimistic for City, I think. Big season for uh, Iceland favourite uh, Phil Foden, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, David Silva's left, as, as we all know. Um, Foden is the natural heir to his position, you would imagine. Um they're the totally different players. I think Foden is a bit more of a sort of energetic uh, kind of box-to-box midfielder who can play out wide as well. So hopefully this will be his season to really blossom. He played quite a lot of games uh, last season in the end and was trusted in um, pretty big games like the Real Madrid game, the, the Carabao Cup final, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, I would like to think that this will be the year that he really uh, goes up to the next level, but uh needs to behave himself a little bit better away from the field, let's say. I mean, it was just nice to see a bit of unity from the Manchester club. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's how I'm viewing it. <laughs> uh, as for Liverpool, uh, should the fans be worried about full bellies? Or do, you think, or do we think Klopp will still be able to inspire them? To yeah, uh, yeah I, I can't see them being as good as they have been for the last two seasons. I think even if you look at this season, I, still, I don't think they're as good as they were the, the previous season when they, when they lost by point to City. Um, you sort of look at games like the Atletico Madrid game just before lockdown, Watford before that, um, and then a few of the games post lockdown where obviously they had won the league, but you know they dropped points. I don't know. I just I just can't see them keeping up that that intensity. You know they've had what two two weeks off, and they're now a big preseason. Games are going to be coming so thick and far. I know that's the case for everyone, but. The way that Liverpool play relies on such high high intensity, high tempo that I just and I just can't see how they can keep up keep up the same sort of levels that they have been. Um, and the squad depth, I mean, the first the starting eleven is amazing, but yeah, the depth just doesn't really seem to be there. Um, yeah, I'd, I would be worried, not worried, but I 
I can't see Liverpool being quite as good as they have been over the past two seasons for sure. It won't be keeping you up at night. <laughs> it won't be keeping me up at my night, no. But but you know, you, I think like Mane, uh, Salah, and Firmino are all twenty eight now, which you know is fine. But old bastards, <laughs> yeah. But you know, they sooner or later they're going to have to start bringing in the likes of Minamino or get getting another striker. Um, I don't know. I, I just I just can't see them keeping up the same intensity as it as the past two years. Dan, it's going to be a walk to the league title. <laughs> oh god, no. It, a lot of people have been saying that about Liverpool. I think it is a fair comment. I mean, you look at City, they had two outstanding seasons and then really dropped off last season. So it kind of stands to reason that Liverpool could do the same. You know, Alex makes some great points about the, the fixture congestion that's coming up and the, the lack of uh, a big uh, gap and rest between seasons. I still think Liverpool will be there or thereabouts, definitely. I think it's going to be a really close run thing, the title race, um, which could be decided by, you know, a few millimetres as it was a couple of seasons ago, you know, a point here and there. Um, the games between the two teams could be really crucial and we didn't really see um, particularly good games against the two teams last season because when City went to Anfield we had a competition winner in goal that day and <laughs> he kind of messed it up for us and then when they played us um, they were still hung over from their title party I think so um, hopefully we'll see another game like we saw in January 2019 19, yeah. yeah which was probably the best game you know, of the last 10 years in the Premier League, yeah, arguably, wasn't it? Yeah, so. Don't get me wrong, I think it'll be City and Liverpool and then the rest, but I, I certainly don't think that, you know, it'll be 100 points, 99 points like it you know, has, like it was the year previous, mm. all of one team running away with it. I think that, yeah, I think it'll be a lot closer this time around, purely because of the way this season is and, um, yeah, clubs just haven't got a sort of bottomless pit of players that they can call upon that are good enough. So, yeah, I still think it'll be those two and then the rest, but yeah, it won't be... Quite, a, quite the cakewalk that it was last season, I think. There was a classic game as well, uh, now that we just talked about great Man City-Liverpool games. Was it at Anfield, Brendan Rodgers in charge? Was it the when they thought they won the league that day, basically, yeah, the, this does not slip? Yeah. That yes. one, yeah. yeah. When was that? Was that was 2014, yeah. April 2014, I think, yeah. Yeah, this is some classic games. Really. Yeah, yeah. We've not won at Anfield since 2003, so uh, it'd be nice to put that right this season for finally. Uh, how big a difference would the signing of Thiago make? I think I personally think it would be huge, and I don't really know why Liverpool haven't just gone in and paid 30 million and been done with it. Really, I mean, I like Wijnaldum. I think he's a good player, but um, Thiago's a different level. Thiago's one of the best midfielders in Europe, like easily top five, top three. So. Yeah, I'm not really sure why. Bayern have said their price. I don't really know why Liverpool haven't just gone all out for him, really, to be honest. Makes you wonder if they're a bit concerned about his fitness issues. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, but yeah, and that's that's also part of the problem of being like a world-class team with such a strong starting eleven. It's it's difficult to sort of bring players in and tell them, look, you're only going to play X amount of games per season. Um, so like Liverpool are going to have to get rid of Wijnaldum to get Thiago in like this, that's just how it's going to be so yeah Dan makes a good point about his fitness fitness levels but I think he I mean he's just showed in the Champions League recently how good he is he runs games against the best teams so yeah I think he's properly world class and he'd make Liverpool so much stronger I'm personally. wondering why Wijnaldum would want to leave Liverpool who are on the up for Barcelona yeah uh, I, I guess quite on the up right now I guess to work with Koeman um, I don't know really maybe they're offering them crazy money but um, yeah I, I mean if I was if I was anyone at Liverpool I'd stay there personally but yeah I'd but I do think Thiago's 
definitely an upgrade on Vinal. Uh, final question on this one then. Can we see Liverpool strengthening anywhere else? It's just Thiago really that's being mentioned. I think, well, I think they need a sort of a backup forward. Um, I like Origi, but I think they need someone better. But that goes back to my previous point. It's it's hard to get a top-class player and say to him, look, you're only going to play 20 games a season because our front three are so good. So I'd, I'd like them to keep Rian Brewster. Um, I think I'd like him to play a little bit more because he, he was brilliant at Swansea last season. Um, but there was talk of Liverpool letting him go for 20 million, which seems odd. Um, and I think they need another centre-back. Yeah. Joe, I think, obviously, Van Dijk's world-class, best centre-back in the world. But Joe Gomez just looks very, very iffy to me a lot of the time, and so does Matip. So, yeah, I think they should... Another centre-back would be would be ideal for them. And then I can't really see any other positions where they're sort of weak. So, yeah, backup striker and a centre-back for me. And if they lost Van Dijk to injury, which... I could be wrong about this. I'm pretty sure he's not got a single injury since he's yeah. played for Liverpool. He seems to have played pretty much every game. If they lost him for a certain period of time, I think they would really struggle, actually. So, uh, But but like Alex says, it's hard not only to buy players as kind of backup, but just to buy players in general. They don't seem to have a lot of money at the moment, Liverpool. I'm not really sure why that is. Um, you know, they've been linked with like Diego Carlos at Sevilla, but you're looking at like 70, 80 million for a player like that. Um, and I just don't think Liverpool are going to be able to spend that money this summer. From what I understand, the uh, owners are quite keen to work within the work within the books to keep everything on. on a more Boring. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they want to take a leaf out of Chelsea's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Not not everybody has oil money, but <laughs> yeah. get some then. It's yeah, great. So, yeah. it's, it's great. Some of them just have baseball money. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Alex, you you mentioned Chelsea. Maybe their best ever summer since what? 2004 yeah i mean it's what a, um what a transfer window it's crazy like, i mean it was exciting when they brought ZH, but and yeah now they've added Havertz, Werner, chillwell i think it's a really good signing tiago silva uh malang Sar. um yeah it's really really exciting but i still think the issues that were there last season are going to be there this season um defense yeah huge i mean i I'd, i was reading something uh a few weeks ago that Last season, Chelsea conceded the most goals from counter-attacks out of any club in the Premier League, which, considering some of the dross that was in the Premier League last season, is incredible. <laughs> and then from wide areas, so corners, free kicks and crosses, only Villa and Norwich conceded more goals than Chelsea, which, is, again, is just incredible, incredible statistic, which is possibly a personnel issue, and it probably is half of that. But that says to me that there's an issue like on the training ground. Um, and I think... Uh, Lampard's derby had the same issue from from corners and free kicks as well. So I don't know. I I like Lampard and I think he I do, I do like him and he sort of says all the right things a lot of the time. But there's clearly an issue there, and I don't think bringing in a 34 year old Thiago Silva is going to change that massively. To be honest, um, they're going to be amazing to watch. Like probably the most exciting team in the Premier League, but. Yeah, it's going to be, if I, I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be ripping my hair out every weekend. I <laughs> but I figure that's what they brought Silva in for, is to at least give some sort of authority at the back end to maybe try organising better. Because like you say, those problems keep on coming with Lampard. So it's- 100%. And I think, was it after the West Ham game where they lost, was it 3-1 at, like post-lockdown? Lampard like said, we need taller players, which a lot of people are like, laughing about. But um, Thiago Silva is obviously a tall centre-back who is commanding in the area and sort of gets his head on things. So that's obviously something that they've realised they need and 
have targeted, but there's a long history of players from other countries coming to the Premier League late in their career and just struggling massively. Um, Especially at Chelsea. Exactly. I think it was Alex, you know, the Brazilian centre-back. I was reading an interview with him a few days ago and he said that when he first came to Chelsea, he was struggling to finish training sessions, let alone games. Like, it was that intense. So, And especially Thiago Silva coming from PSG for the past eight years where, I mean, I'm not being funny, they play sort of seven high-intensity games a season and the rest they win four or five now. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I mean, it is a good signing on paper, but... I don't know. I think they need much more than that, to be honest, to even be anywhere near a title challenge. Well, just to go back to this 2004-2005 transfer winner for Chelsea, they brought in Czech, Robin, uh, Didier Drogba, Thiago, Ricardo Carvalho, Paolo Ferreira. But listen to who they got rid of. Bogart Ferran, Desai E, Hasselbank, uh, Mario Melchiot, Emmanuel Petit, Carlton Cole, <laughs> <laughs> Hernan Crespo, Zenden, and of course, Neil Sullivan. <laughs> that's a big changing of the guard there isn't it wow yeah. that's a sign that's a sign right uh, but, we had a question from uh, who did we have this question from Yeah, uh, Kilo 6 Alpha I'm not sure that's their real name uh, <laughs> asking will Arsenal and Chelsea be title contenders do they have a chance Alex you say no for Chelsea absolutely not no oh. and also I think um, I mean we they can spend however many millions on Havertz and Werner or whatever they're, ne- they're never ever going to be anywhere near a title challenge if they still got Kepper in goal. Like he, <laughs> I can't remember the exact number, but I think he conceded about forty percent of shots on target last season, which which is like the highest that percentage percentile has ever been since this, those statistics have been recorded for any goalkeeper anywhere in Europe. So, I mean, he's something's clearly gone wrong there. I think he's a good goalkeeper, but it's just not worked at Chelsea. And until they get another centre-back who's world-class and another goalkeeper. They're just, yeah, they're not going to be anywhere near a title challenge. Okay, and Arsenal? Uh, I like Arsenal. I like what Arteta's doing. He's, you can clearly tell that like he, he's coaching them and they have a purpose now, whereas before they were just 11 players running around aimlessly. Um, and I do think that potentially they could get top four, but... I think to have a title challenge would just be a step too far, really. Like, Well, like I said earlier on, it's City, Liverpool and everyone else. And I think it's going to be very interesting between everyone else. But yeah, it's going to be between City and Liverpool. Dan, Arsenal, no chance? Not for me, Clive, no. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think they'll, they'll be better this season. I think they might finish top four. Um, I, I definitely like the job Arteta's doing there. I like a lot of the players they've got there. I think they're really interesting team to watch. But yeah, I just don't think they're quite at the City-Liverpool level yet either. Okay. Do we think, uh, you know, given all of the transfers and uh, the impact that's going to have on Chelsea, do we expect Lampard to cope with the extra pressure and the expectation? I mean, he obviously got a lot of time last season. We expect him to get that again? I've got a feeling Lampard might be getting sacked next summer. That's my hot take. I could imagine them struggling a bit this season and thinking, well, we've given Lampard his chance. You know, he sort of took over the club in a tumultuous period when we had the transfer ban. He got us through that. He did okay in his first season. Only okay, really, finishing fourth, I think, in the end. Um, And I think if they don't sort of see some serious improvement next summer, they'll probably be looking at getting a better manager. I got schooled. Got schooled in the big competition. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. A lot. Obviously, expectations are going to go up exponentially now. They spent all that money, but I think that he is obviously a Chelsea legend, so he gets cut a lot more slack with the fans, with the board. He has a lot of friends in the media. I think 
Um, I think they got fewer points than Sarri's team last season and finished a place lower. And if the way the way it was reported, it was like he'd done the most amazing job in the world, mm. which I don't think is the case. But I think that a lot of because of this short sort of turnaround from last season, in some ways that will help Chelsea. A lot of teams will struggle initially. So it'll take Chelsea probably until, I don't know, October to really find their feet. But I think that will be the case for pretty much every other team as well. So um, that could play in their favour. But I, yeah, I, I still think Lampard will be there next season. But um, he needs, they need to like, do really well in the league, win a cup, do well in the Champions League for them to sort of see much more progression and then to sort of the narrative to sort of change around him, I guess. Hey, speaking of friends in the media, he's been picked as the number six greatest ever Premier League player by the Athletic. Uh, yeah, I think that's about, that's about right. right. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you not think? Well, they had gigs at four, and that's way too high for gigs. Mm. longevity of gigs was pretty incredible wasn't it that's it though <laughs> and his, his numbers were great as well I think weren't they well they had him ahead of they had Ronaldo at 5 Roy Keane at 7 is a travesty I don't know how <laughs> the, top the top 3 just to inform you were uh, Eric Cantona at 3 Alan Shearer at 2 yeah. a man who won what one title yeah. yeah Thierry Henry at number 1 yeah, I think I think Henri is is the best. I would say Shearer for being the leading goal scorer probably deserves a very high place on the list. Uh, Cantona three, I'm not convinced about that one personally. Well, we disagree on this one, don't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I, it, his maverick quality makes people think he was a better player than he actually was. But correct. Yeah, and that's that's all I want for my. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Eden has it at number sixteen, which is way too high or low or whatever. There's no way he's the sixteenth best player in the Premier League. Ever. They're all nonsense, these lists, aren't they? Yeah, they are, but it's worth talking about. <laughs> um, now, we, we speak of the other teams, uh, one of which is Everton. They've only gone and signed James Rodriguez. Mm, yeah. Did anybody see the, the, the video that was knocking around Twitter of him smiling? Out the toffees. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I just imagined this, but I swore on like his right-hand side there was a sparkle in his teeth. <laughs> I don't know if anybody it's, uh, knows this. it's challenging Klopp for the whitest teeth on Merseyside <laughs> uh, him and Firmino <laughs> yeah. uh, okay this is an amazing move and it's going to transform Everton into a big club and that's what I've written here is anybody else with me uh, I think <laughs> if I was an Everton fan I would be very excited I think that last season their midfield was verging on a disgrace it was appallingly <laughs> bad um and yeah, they've signed Alan, they've signed Decore and Hammers, which is really, really exciting. But I think they've gambled big time. They're of in they're in the top twenty of richest clubs in the world, and their percentage of turnover to wages is the highest of any club by a long, 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 long way. Um, and that was before Hammers, who is obviously only joined in for about twenty million, but his wages will be massive. Same with Alan. So I think that. I'm not really sure what's going to happen if they don't... Are they gambling on Champions League football and then hoping that they'll get money from that? I don't know. And if they don't get it, I can see there being a big exodus of players there and, and then them starting all over again, really. Jeez, I, that, yeah. is, geez, that is a gamble. If they're yeah, it's a huge, huge gamble. And apart, like they've brought those three players in, that's fine. 
but they've still got Iwobi, Walcott, you know, like Dean is a good player, but is he like properly world-class? No, they've got Jordan Pickford in goal. There's so many areas where they could improve that and, and the clubs around them are improving a lot as well. I just, I don't know. It is exciting, but I just can't see them being consistent this season and getting top four, May, possibly top six, but I think that's a massive push personally. I'd heard a rumour that he was eager to hook up with Seamus Coleman. On the- <laughs> <laughs> That's what really sealed the deal. Yeah. Dan, I think you've got a strong opinion on this. I think he's going to be the flop of the season, Hammers. Uh, I mean, I know he's gone there to link up with Carlo Ancelotti, who he's worked with previously, um, but not really sort of achieved much with Carlo Ancelotti. You know, they've, they might have a good relationship. They've not really sort of achieved much together. And I have a feeling that he's going to be sort of one of those players. You know, when people say, oh, could Messi do it on a cold, wet Wednesday in Stoke? I think players like Hammers are what they're actually referring to when they say stuff like that. I think he's going to be one of them. He just doesn't really fancy it, uh, sort of struts around, not really doing very much. And probably next summer we'll be on the move back to sunnier climbs somewhere else. Could be wrong about that. Wouldn't be the first time. But yeah, I, I don't think he's their most exciting signing. I think Decorah, is actually a really, really good signing for them. And Alan could be as well. Well, Everton fans, if you find Dan Burke on Twitter, be sure to send me <laughs> that, uh, that negative uh, thing. Bring, bring it back to him when Hammers is top scorer of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Hi everyone, Dan Burke here. Just interjecting to let you know that at this point in the podcast, we moved on from talking about Everton to talking about Tottenham, specifically their Amazon Prime uh, documentary, All or Nothing. However, I didn't notice until we came to edit the podcast that it appears to have uh, messed up the recording somewhat. So here we are talking about Tottenham and you join us midway through that conversation. Yeah, the Danny Rose bit was probably the most interesting bit of the whole thing uh, so far for me. Um, like, I always thought that the knock on the manager's door to ask him why he wasn't playing was like a sort of metaphorical cl- cliche that never actually happened. And then in this episode, Danny Rose literally knocks on Mourinho's door and asks him why he's not playing. <laughs> and then they have a bit of an argument about it. And Danny Rose doesn't come across particularly well in it. Um, Christian Eriksen doesn't come across particularly well in it when he's kind of angling for a move away. Um, <laughs> Mourinho comes across really well in it and I do sort of think that I might have fallen for his charms a little bit or fallen for a Kool-Aid there mate yeah fallen for a very generous (laughs) edit there but yeah he comes across like you know his team talks are pretty good uh you know you compare it to the City Amazon documentary from a few years ago and a lot of the sort of dressing room stuff of Guardiola doing the team talks he was just talking complete nonsense and you kind of think how is he like getting this message across to these players because I don't understand what he's talking about at all. And I think like Guardiola is, is a great coach on the training pitch and maybe as a sort of uh, inspirational manager, he's not the best. Whereas Mourinho really has that sort of star quality where he's sort of getting them G'd up in the dressing room. Obviously it didn't work <laughs> that much for Spurs last season, but it's, it's still interesting to see what he's like behind the scenes. And it is quite different to how he is in front of the, the, the media. I, th- I, think, I think with this is Tottenham will have fine led it, right? Totally. And the narrative around Tottenham last season was that Levy wanted a big coach and he gambled on Mourinho, sacked Pochettino and it didn't really work. And I think that they're only ever going to put Mourinho in a good light. And so you can't, you have to take everything in this documentary with a total pinch of salt because they're always going to sort of leave out, you know, the bad stuff that he does or, or sort of change and edit around slightly like that. The classic clip that's going around when he tells the, where he says, Oh, fuck off to the TV. Like 
that's a total total re-edit of the the, the footage that they've had mm. so i don't know i mean I, I can he does come across as very charismatic and you can tell why players do want to do want to work for him but i would much rather prefer to watch the documentary of uh, Mourinho's time at chelsea back in the day <laughs> that, that would have been much more uh, i don't know but that, that was what surprised me about it because i don't think he does come across as very charismatic in in the media anymore i think he comes oh, across yeah, as quite yeah. dour and sort of miserable and very sort of you know arsy with people whereas behind the scenes when he sort of with the players he is a bit more and there's a bit on on the one of the latest episodes i watched i don't know if you remember uh on boxing day last year he did an interview after one of the games with jeff shreves or whoever and was like oh i'm really sad my dog died yeah, yeah and yeah. it's like he tells his players like on the, me- the meeting of the game he's like guys i might lose my temper with you today like my dog died i'm really upset about it and it's like a really sort of like human moment that you don't <laughs> really see from him it's like a proper yeah, it's like yeah. it's like raw and like I don't think you always get that from Mourinho when he's doing his press conferences and what have you. Was it a Chelsea in that season when he fly kicked a tactics board to inspire the guys? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's the classic story from his Chelsea time is when um, Lampard was in the shower and Mourinho got in next to him and told him that he could be the best player in the world if he like worked harder. Was <laughs> the most naked in the shower? <laughs> Wait, they were both naked in the shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. to believe Mourinho was fully clothed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Alex, you're a man in the past who's had some, let's say, forthright opinions mm. on Jose. And the present, apparently. <laughs> uh, this will be his first, is it, I'm right, it's his first full season in charge. Yeah. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what are you sort of expecting from him in Spurs this season? I actually, having said what I've said about Marino, do feel a little bit, not sorry for him this season, but I, I think he's sort of on a hiding to nothing, really. It, you know, an, in a normal season, it's very hard to do the Thursday, Sunday, Europa League, Premier League, sort of that, that sort of round of fixtures week in, week out. But this season is so truncated with that. I, th- I think that if Tottenham get past the second round of the Carabao Cup and get into the third qualifying round of the Europa League, they're going to play 10 games in 28 days uh, between the end of September and the end of October, which is frankly ridiculous. Um, and Tottenham haven't got a massive squad anyway and last season they got really really unlucky with injuries so if that happens again this season yeah it's going to be almost impossible for them to do something um, yeah I, so I do feel sorry for him but I, I, they've done some really good business I think Koyberg is a really good signing same with Matt Doherty um, Joe Hart potentially not but I, I think that those, those, those signings are very good but they need way more players. They just need way more players um, just to get some bodies in there. Maybe this is the time for Mourinho to sort of show that he does trust the youth players a bit more. Um, but yeah, the, the fixture congestion this season is going to be impossible for clubs, I think. So um, maybe he'll just go all in on winning the Europa League like he did at Man United that time. Um but yeah, it's going to be really, really hard for Tottenham, I think, this the, season. The Doherty reveal video was great. Yeah, it was really good, actually. <laughs> and, and, he's, and he's a really, really good signing. Like, Aurier has been a massive weak point of that team for a long time. Um, yeah, and Doherty's just proved that he's a really good Premier League player. I think he had the most of any defender last season. He had the most touches in the opposition box. So he's exactly what they need going forward. And he's good defensively. And also... He's a talker. He's clearly like a leader on the pitch, which is, I think, what Mourinho wants. Sort of Premier League experienced players that can guide the younger players through games. So, 
yeah, that they've done well, but I, I don't think it's quite enough just yet, really. The only video that's uh, beaten it so far this summer is the Ricardo Charisma one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you haven't seen this, I cannot urge you enough to go check this out. He's riding a horse at one stage. That's, that's pretty much all you need to know. Uh, so, yeah, we've mentioned Joe Hart. Yeah, that's a surprise, let's say. Let's have some respect on Joe Hart's name for a second, can't we? Absolutely <laughs> legend. Yeah, well, he actually is. Yeah, that's not a joke. But um, I, I feel sorry for Joe Hart. I think he was dealt a bad hand by the way he was sort of ousted from City by Guardiola. Tried to make the best of it. it hasn't gone well for him the past couple of years. I hope this is a real sort of like step back in the right direction for him, working under a big manager. Actually, I mentioned on the uh, podcast a few weeks ago, the the podcast that Nader Manuha does. Um and Joe Hart was on... Your new, your new best friend. New best friend, yeah. Joe Hart was on the recent episode of that talking about the move from Spurs and he was saying that Mourinho got in contact with him personally and said that he really wanted him to be his backup goalkeeper. And I think Hart's going there thinking, you know, Hugo Lloris is a great goalkeeper that you can learn from. Um, but Lloris, you know, has had uh, patches of iffy form in recent years, injury problems, if um, Lloris was get to, you know... T- was to get taken out of the firing line for a few games, Hart might see that as a an opportunity for him to sort of, you know, re reestablish himself as a good goalkeeper because it's not happened for him in recent years. But I think there is still a good goalkeeper in there. I don't think you you just lose that overnight. I think it's probably a confidence issue, and I would like to think that this will give him a bit of a confidence boost. Um, we speaking of goalkeepers, uh, there's an interesting question over at Manchester United this season: Dean Henderson or De Gea? Mm. Who would you go for, Alex? I think I would go with De Gea initially, but um, Dean Henderson is definitely his long-term successor, and I think it can only help De Gea having Henderson on the bench. And if and it's sort of a win-win for Man United, really. If he does make errors like he has been these past sort of few seasons now, really, um, Henderson is he's proved at Sheffield United last season he's more than able to step into his place. So yeah, I think it's actually a win-win for United. Um, it might be a bit more difficult if De Gea does get dropped and then they try and sell him and, you know, trying to get someone who's got a five year, five years left on his contract and is on 400 grand a week. That might be quite hard as Arsenal fan out of uh, Mesut Ozil. But, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I would go with De Gea initially and then, yeah, Henderson towards the end of the season if anything, any errors do occur. Okay, we've got a couple of questions from this thing. Well, one that I really want to ask. It's from hashtag free part A. <laughs> I said Thomas Party. <laughs> I, I don't know how I'm just pronouncing Party. Uh, who do you expect to be the dark horse this season? Ooh, um, I have to think about that one. Dark horse. Uh, oh, I'm going to agree with something Lewis Ambrose wrote in our uh, Premier League preview that's coming up later this week. Southampton. I think they could they could do something interesting this season. I think they've they've shown a bit of steady improvement under Hasenhutler, especially since that nine nil defeat to Leicester. I don't think they really looked back after that, and and um, they they were much better towards the end of the season, end of the season quite strongly. So yeah, I could see them sort of pushing uh, top ten, top eight, maybe. You don't not, want to know where I put them in my predicted. <laughs> I'm going to say some a club that we haven't mentioned yet, which is Wolves. I think without Europe, the Europa League, they're going to do something decent. They've kept hold of most of the most of their players, um, and yeah, I think just the fact that they haven't got to play at so many games as last season will, will help them um, and could potentially finish maybe top four, maybe fifth. Uh, but yeah, I reckon they might do something pretty good this season. And Fabio Silva. Although I haven't, can't say I've seen a huge amount of him, but what I have seen their new signing looks unbelievable. So yeah, I think they they might surprise a few people. 
Okay, let's get into some wild predictions. Give me your, your top five in order, Dan. Uh, I'm not fully convinced about this, but I'll go City champions, uh, Liverpool second, United third, Arsenal fourth, and Chelsea fifth. Alex? And I'll go City champions, Liverpool, uh, Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal. But ask me tomorrow and I might say something different. <laughs> okay, your bottom three? I'm going to shock you now. I'm going to go Fulham relegated, West Brom relegated, uh, Fulham bottom, West Brom second bottom, third bottom, Sheffield United. Ooh. How about that for a hot take? You can feel that one all the way over, <laughs> yeah. over there, can't you? Uh, it's burning through. And I'm going to go with uh, Fulham, West Brom and West Ham. Yeah, West, West Ham's maybe not be a bad <laughs> Uh, first manager sacked? Roy Hodgson, I reckon. I think. Oh, no. Yeah, they, they were. I think they picked up like one point post lockdown or something. Mm. Haven't really strengthened that much in the uh, transfer window. I think they're probably going to make a bad start to the season and pull the trigger on old Roy. He's 73 now. He, you know, he needs to spend some time in his garden and all that. It's, <laughs> so just give it up, Roy. It's over. <laughs> Take uh, a break, Roy. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've actually got Roy Hodgson written down here as well. But uh, if we're going to say something different, I reckon David Moyes. Between those two, anyway. Uh, top score? <sighs> really not sure about this one. Um, I'll, go, I'll go Salah, just because he always scores. Okay, not like and... And, uh, yeah, I think uh, Aubameyang scored goals in a bad Arsenal team, and this is now quite a good Arsenal team. So I think it stands to reason that he'll score even more goals. Okay, and your surprise of the season? Uh, just to sort of develop what I said a minute ago, Sheffield United are going to struggle, I think. Um, only really sort of basing this on the fact that Ipswich Town once got in the Champions League and then got relegated <laughs> the following season. So I, I have a feeling that something like that could happen to them, that they might find the second season syndrome a bit too difficult to, to manage but you know I'm not fully convinced about that one either really I'm not convinced about anything I say anymore <laughs> <laughs> last word to you then Alex uh, that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer won't be Man United manager by the end of the season oh, that would be a shock <laughs> <laughs> do you want to name name his successor uh, Pochettino if he's still around if he's still got a job uh, hasn't got a job but yeah that that's that's my hot take for today. <laughs> okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Dan and Alex. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, should you miss it, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, you're dressed to do so, it's podcast at wonfootball.com.